That's right. You've tuned into the place where you get to know everything about leadership, everything you need to know, everything you want to know, lessons in leadership. Steve Adubato, my colleague, Mary Gamba. Mary, how are we today? Doing great, doing great. And uh, I'll let uh, a little secret out. We tape a lot of these in a day. And by about this point, when we're five or six in a day, my cheeks start to hurt. I feel like it's my wedding day because I've been smiling so much and looking into the camera. So uh, Is that fake smiling or real smiling? It's real smiling. We always have a lot of fun on lessons in leadership. So it's one of the things that I really look forward to about my job. You know, I was smiling on my wedding. Well, there were two wedding days. The first I wasn't. The second I was. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, should I edit that out? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Could we edit that out? I'm sorry. No. Uh, Mary, we'll bring in Carlos. Uh, wait to TMI. I know that. Trust me, I know. Uh, we'll bring in Carlos in just a second. Do me a favor, tell everyone who our sponsors are and our media platforms. Sure. Our sponsors include Valley Bank, Prager Metis, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the New Jersey Sharing Network. Uh, we have Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute, uh, the North Ward Center, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. Absolutely. And a whole range of media partners that, uh, what are they, by the way, Mary? Uh, the media partners. We've got Apple. I all sound like I have a, I'm saying a menu, right? Our specials. And we have for you this morning, uh, we have Spotify. Uh, you're probably watching us on News 12 Plus, R-O-I-N-J, NJ.com, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And I would also love to thank our promotional partners, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and NJBIA and New Jersey Business Magazine. Got it. By the way, I want to formally and officially apologize to my first wife, Marianne, a wonderful woman. We have a son together, Stephen. And let me just say, for the record, it was me, not you. Carlos, was that smooth or not? That was very smooth. Very smooth. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. Hey, listen, uh, Carlos Rodriguez is president and CEO of Community Food Bank in New Jersey. That's serious stuff. That's important. Carlos, tell everyone what the Community Food Bank is as we put up your website, and then we'll talk about why it matters so much. So the Community Food Bank of New Jersey is the primary provider of food and other services to 15 out of the 21 counties throughout New Jersey. We do that in partnership with two amazing organizations um, uh, in, in uh, Mercer County and, and Northwest Cap in the north, you know, north west, western part of the state. And of course, hundreds of local partners, pantries, and other community-based organizations around the state. So, Carlos, you've joined us on our public broadcasting programs many times, um, talking about the issues of food insecurity and, and how it's gotten worse as we've been dealing with COVID for it's closing in on two years as we get into early 2022. This is being taped in uh, the fall of 2021. But, but I'm going to shift gears with you. Because this is a leadership show, and I'm, I've always been fascinated by when it comes to you, and those of us who run not-for-profit organizations, is do you actually believe there's a difference between leadership in a not-for-profit versus a for-profit money-making business? And if so, what is it? There's probably some commonalities, right, in all fairness, but I think there, there's a fundamental difference. I mean, what drives you in a not-for-profit versus what has to drive you in a for-profit is completely different. Not-for-profit, there's no sense of, there's no ownership, right? We're stewards of what we're entrusted with, and we take those resources and we focus them on mission. And in our case, our mission is the need of our neighbors uh, and a critical need and a very basic need at that. So you have to apply leadership and you have to adapt leadership skills in a very different way. And the first thing I'll say, Steve, is that leadership is not something you're ever born with. You might have certain traits, characteristics, 
Leadership is something that you have to learn. And in my opinion, learn continuously. You Wait a minute, Mary, as you're jumping in here, Carlos, you're saying you don't think you're a natural born leader? I don't think there's any such thing as a natural born leader. There's people- Really? I, bet, I always thought I was. Well, you know, I think you, you had <laughs> more humble. going for you, Steve, than most people. But you honed that skill, I think is the point. Yeah. I think you definitely honed that skill. We all have to hone that skill. You have to nurture it and you have to keep reapplying it and reinventing it. And by the way, as Carl says, that Lessons in Leadership, this book is filled with nothing more. Mary, confirm this since you wrote the book with me. Uh, nothing but mistakes I've made as a leader and what I've learned in the process. So Carlos is a thousand percent right. And most of what we learn, hopefully, is by the mistakes we make. Mary, go ahead. Yeah. And as we're taping this, Carlos, we're more than a year and a half into the pandemic. How have the needs, um, especially when it comes to food insecurity, how have the needs changed? How have the people that you serve changed? And what, what things have you seen? And what do you predict for the months ahead? Because it doesn't seem like there's any end to this pandemic anytime soon. I think that last point is the most relevant. It's a roller coaster ride, uh, different realities. You think you have your arms around something and then you get another wave or you get another wrinkle. And there's just a lot of unknown in front of us. Uh, and with that instability comes the, a, the uncertainty of whether families will be able to put food on the table. And so that continuous learning is something that uh, we really put into a different gear uh, over the last 18 months, almost two years. We have to keep uh, in tune with what's going on around us and how that can impact our neighbors. And I don't see the need really going away in any significant way. It's going to adapt. It's going to shift. Maybe the intensity will, will hopefully continue to less to to uh, uh, be less, but going away, far from it. Yeah, and you Stay touched on it. Hand. Yeah, I was going to say you touched on it a little bit there. The whole empathy um, part of things. And Steve and I talk a lot about empathy, particularly in leadership. And for any viewers that are watching today, and and to really get them to empathize about what it's like to have food insecurity. Um, how can we really get people to understand what that's like? And then secondly, how can we let them know how they can help? And let's put up the website as we do mm -hmm. this. Go ahead, Carlos. Well, I think the best way to, to do both is to just be informed, right? And so absolutely a, a selfish plug to visit our website at cfbnj.org. Learn about the problem of hunger, who our neighbors are that are in need and why they're in need. You know, one of the things over the last 18 months that I think helped garner a lot of empathy was it was really in your face. It was really your neighbor who all of a sudden, uh, that reality of being one paycheck away be was very real. It was very real all around us. And we were able to see uh, that problem in huge numbers. But that's hunger every day. And what's happening now as things hopefully open up and families and individuals are able to go back to work is that hunger is gonna be the way it always has been, kind of behind closed doors, still struggling to make ends meet, but maybe not as visible and as sharp uh, or with the magnitude that it has been over the last 18 months. Um, again, shifting gears. Uh, I've often said in, in seminars that I've led around leadership, both in person and remote, there are some that are in person, most are remote. We don't know what's gonna happen moving forward, but this is a, a, a theory I have, more gut instinct than anything. I believe, Carlos, that much of our approach to being a leader is not simply based on the mistakes we make and the experience we have and learning, but I also believe that our style, our demeanor, <clears throat> the way we handle things is greatly influenced by our family of origin, by who we grew up with and what we grew up around. And I'm not gonna harp on this. If you wanna know more, read my book, Lessons in Leadership, but 
because I don't know if you knew my dad, <clears throat> but a strong, dominant, aggressive, in-your-face leader who succeeded and built a lot of great things. But I've often said this, and my mom doesn't like when I say it, there was a lot of roadkill in the process. I Meaning he was aggressive and in-your-face and didn't care if you hurt your feelings. And I know that I learned a lot of that and had to unlearn a lot of it. So it's a long-winded way of getting to this question. To what degree did the family that you grew up in and where you grew up, and I believe in New York, right? I be, yes, absolutely. Grew up in, in the, the Bronx? South Bronx. In the South in the Bronx. Bronx. Uh, I, I think, you know, you kind of struck a chord there because so much of being a leader is learning from what you need to learn, right? Adapt the good behaviors, but also know how to rewire things that you know don't strike the right chord, right? Relearn, re-engineer things. And so for me, I saw a lot of things that were destructive growing up. And my approach and, and the guidance of so many, absolutely so many, my mom, even my dad's example at times, uh, is, is really just carve a path forward that's different and define different for yourself. And if it's different was to be a better person, to be a better provider, to be a better member of, of community and be a better neighbor, then figure that out. And, and always figure that out because we, we didn't see, we saw some of it, but we didn't see a lot of it uh, growing up in the South Bronx. Yeah, so you grew up in the South Bronx. I just got to check on this, right? So how far away were you from Yankee Stadium? I was a half a mile away. So I can, you know, I can look out a window in the tenement and see the lights on a good day when I was living there. Uh, there he is. There he is. All right, good. I, yeah, I was a, concerned that you were going to take the wrong hat out, but that's okay. Hey, no, oh, hold on one second. Hold you on don't even second. own the other hat, do you, Steve? Carlos? Carlos? Scarlin, behind the camera, best cameraman ever. He is a devout Met fan. Carlos? We can, we can live in harmony. That's the point, Steve. Can we? can we live in harmony. We can. We got to embrace our neighbor. <laughs> Are they really our neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you grew up a Yankee fan, right? I grew up a Yankee fan. I grew up a Yankee fan. My dad is still a, a tremendous Yankee fan. I, I remember vividly, you know, going to the bleachers on special occasions um, and, and kind of watching a, a good game with him and playing catch, you know, outside and all that good stuff. Hey, Carlos, listen, um, you know, you'll continue to be with us both on our public broadcasting programming as well as on Lessons in Leadership. And we will continue to put up the Community Food Bank of New Jersey website because the work will never be done. There are more and more people who are struggling and suffering. And part of our job, part of leadership, is finding a way to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's what Carlos Rodriguez does every day. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. And keep listening, because that's the only way to relate to our neighbors. That's right. We're right back right after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. 
Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here. By the way, I want to thank our good friend Carlos Rodriguez from the Community Food Bank. Uh, great job. Um, keep giving, keep helping. They make a difference in the lives of others. Talk about shifting gears on lessons in leadership, Mary. We're about to introduce a segment. The author of this book, Tower of Lies. It's Barbara Ress, right? Yes, it is. Tell everyone who Barbara is. She had worked with uh, President Donald Trump. She talks about him, what the experience was like, his leadership style. So, um, and she's an author. Yeah, but she worked with him for a long time. Mary, you and I have been together for 21 years. Yes. They knew each other for, I think, closer to three decades. Oh, yeah, no, she, they did. Mm -hmm. And wasn't she, she was one of the key leaders of the contracting team that built Trump Tower. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's do this. We're going to watch and listen to Barbara Ress. And listen, you never know. This is not a political show. It's not a gossipy show. And the only reason we're doing this on, on, on Donald Trump, and by the way, if you know this program, you know that we are very critical of other leaders in public positions, including, I'll put this and get this out of the way. You know, you turn into certain, net, tune into certain networks because you think, oh, I like them because they say things about Trump that are terrible and I don't like him. Oh, I tune into Fox or News. Uh, what's it called? I don't even know what it's called. Um, one <laughs> I of those, don't know where you're going. One of those Trump stations. What uh, is Newsmax? it? Newsmax. Newsmax. That's weird to me. The leadership, this leadership show, I'll tell you right now, we're going to do a segment about Donald Trump that does not make him look good as a leader. But you watch Joe Biden handle a press conference? You watch President Biden, I don't care whether you voted for him or not. Mary and I teach people how to deal with difficult questions in public. It's called the Q&A exercise we do. They make a presentation before the board or whomever, and then they have to ask hard, answer hard questions. It's very similar to a president or governor or a chief executive in a public position having to answer tough questions. We have video of President Biden ask, getting asked the most direct question about Afghanistan or whatever it is. He gets angry. He gets short. He gets curt. He's peeved. He criticizes. By the way, he criticizes the reporter. How dare you ask me the question? Mm -hmm. It's a stupid question. By the way, sounds a lot like Trump in that way. Yeah, and, and if people, about, I was going to say, if, if people have watched uh, our series, uh, one of the episodes we actually threw to that video clip so people can see it, but you can Google it and find it just as easily. But even though we do criticize a lot, there's also others like Barack Obama, who is one of the most charismatic speakers. And JFK, we talk about a lot of presidential and historical leadership, good and bad. But at the same time, while we've, um, I am a big fan of Barack Obama's public communication, I'm very critical of him in Lessons in Leadership for not taking responsibility in 2010. There's a chapter, one of our favorite books is Extreme Ownership, which is right here, great, written by two Navy SEALs. It's in our leadership library. Check out our website. I criticized President Obama because in 2010, when they came out with the website, healthcare.gov, it was all screwed up. 
And he was like, listen, I don't know what's going on. I'm not running the website. But he delegated to other people who were supposed to get it right. They never checked it. They never rechecked it. They had to fire the people who were running it. He's responsible. He's got to take ownership. Point being, when it comes to leadership, I'll get off my soapbox. When it comes to leadership, Mary and I do not care who you voted for, who we voted for, who's a Democrat, who's a Republican. That's what this segment is. Tower of Lies is the name of the book. Barbara Ress is the author. She worked, and I only pray that Mary does not write a book about me one day, because it may not be pretty. But Barbara Ress talks about Trump as a leader. Her perspective, you can disagree, but she's the one who worked with him for 30 years. Barbara Ress on Donald Trump, the leader. You worked 18 years with Donald Trump, uh, former President Donald Trump, from when to when? Uh, I worked from um, 78 to 80 as a member of the construction team for uh, HRH Construction. And then I worked from Trump from 80 to 84, and then from 87 to 91, and then from 91 to 98 as a consultant. But you were in a lead position as it relates to Trump Tower. You're one of the key players in the development there, right? I was in charge of the construction of Trump Tower. I was I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a student of leadership. I'm fascinated by leadership traits. And I'm, listen, you don't have to go very far in the book. Do you mind if I read just a little section right on the inside sleeve? It got my attention. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan of taking ownership for mistakes, most of which I make here on the show. Um, this is a quote in the book. Quote, you're making me look bad. This is President Trump talking to you at the time. Um, you're making me look bad with all this cheap SH, you know, the rest. Trump screamed, his face beat red with his... Lips white. Who told you to buy this? This is you now. I showed it to you with all the other marble, and you picked this one. I said, it was the cheapest, and it's what you said to you, so don't blame me. And then you say, I've never seen such anger and hatred in his face. For a moment, I believed he might hit me, and I was ready to just go down. Um, was Donald Trump the kind of leader who took responsibility for himself, his actions, and his mistakes? Absolutely not. Never. What do you mean never? Of course. <laughs> what do you whenever mean? Anything, <laughs> whenever something went wrong, the very first thing he did was try to figure out who to blame. And then, you know, we deal with what, what happened. And would there be pushback? I'm a big fan of getting honest feedback, constructive feedback. Trust me, my team doesn't hold back telling me when I screw up, how I've screwed up, and I better not screw up again. W what was the culture around then developer Donald Trump? Way back, back in the 80s. Um, he had good people, really good people, uh, myself included, uh, but some very strong people and they were smart and he listened to them, he listened to us and he yelled and everything else. But a lot of times when you had an idea that, that was the right thing, but you needed to get him to buy into it, you would try to uh, work him into thinking it was his idea somehow. Uh, or you would flatter him, or whatever you did, you did what it took to get it, to get it done. But he did listen to people, and he did change his mind. But you also wrote in the book, and you've said publicly, I've seen you on uh, other networks, and you've said he's, quote, changed significantly as a person and as a leader over these many years. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's just, the word changes implies that he's totally different, and he's not different. That's the point of my book, is that that is what 
the initial Trump was, and then you watch him develop over my book, and then over time. But the changes are he let it, everything go to his head. He The first thing, the big change I said was that he used to listen to people and pay attention, architects, engineers, me, uh, lawyers. And now he does not do that, clearly. He, he I mean, he'll listen to somebody like Sean Hannity or, uh, or Rudy Giuliani, which is, you know, insane. But, I mean, he doesn't really, he thinks he knows everything. He has repeated it a hundred times. I know more than the generals. I know more than the scientists. I know more than the doctors. And he does really think so. So he doesn't listen to anyone. So in that, he has changed. Uh, he's gotten more um, vicious, I think, although he was pretty vicious when I was with him. But things like, I mean, way back in 2016, when he made that horrible remark on um, on television about women uh, and assaulting them, I, I was surprised at that. I didn't think he had that in him. What about mocking a reporter who had a physical disability on camera and then said, I wasn't really doing that? Did that surprise you? Uh, it didn't surprise me that he did it. Um, no, no, it didn't surprise me that he would deny it. Absolutely not. I mean, he used to make fun of people all the time. That was his big thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, in one of the new books, uh, he talks about somebody and he calls him Fat Tony. And we had someone in the, um, that we worked with in the government that Donald called the Fat F. And that was the name he had. He, he didn't like fat, fat people. He feared them. He just, he was just turned off by them. So he was kind of mean like that. Okay, let me, let me try this. Um, and by the way, there's a new book out and Phil Rucker from the Washington Post and his colleague wrote it about Donald Trump. And again, this is not here to, to vilify President Trump. This is to try to, former President Trump, try to understand from someone who worked closely with him the way he thinks. So as president, when you were watching what was happening, particularly during the virus, when he's in a public press conference and he turns to Dr. Burks and says, you know, you can shoot the disinfected under the arm. And what were you thinking in that moment? Well, I, it was it was familiar, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, he would get a ridiculous idea and he would put it forth as if it were, you know, a good idea or he'd make a statement that was not true and put it forth as it was true. And if he could find a flunky and he found burps, with all due respect, she was a flunky back then, uh, to, to, you know, go along with him or not to correct him. Oh, you're insane, Donald. You can't do that. doesn't surprise me at all. It's just, you know, how many people think, oh, Trump's got the answers, even though they're not the answers. What redeeming qualities does he have? I, I, I think, um, how about empathy? Empathy? Yeah, why, why are you making a face when I say empathy? Compassion, caring for others. You know, I, in my book, I talk about uh, some a time when he actually showed uh, kind of uh, compassion, and it was it was very rare, but I think that's completely gone. I don't think he has empathy for anything or anyone. How do you believe as president over those four years, the leadership style, the personality and the way it manifests itself, take policy out of it again as a leader, how do you believe it has affected our nation and the presidency? Well, you know, I would love to say he's a terrible leader and I, and I do believe that in many ways, but he has got his base. And I think that the way he did that was not honestly I think it was by um, firing up people and getting what they getting letting them be what they are, which is racist and xenophobes and things like that. As a leader, when 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 I was working for him, and I see this again in, in one of the books, and I just picked up the other book today. Um, he he does the try book. to. I alone can do this. You just got it. 
Yes, I just got yeah, it this morning. I did too, but go ahead. <laughs> and I'm not finished with disclosure yet. So, um, so um, not disclosure. I don't even work. There anymore. are a lot out there. But by the yeah, way, Tower yeah, of Lies is one you want to get. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, we're, 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 we're talking about his leadership, right? Uh, well, you're, talking about, you're, you're talking, well, I was about to ask you about January 6th, but you said he lies to people. By the way, do, do the honesty thing. Um, he accuses others, fake news. You're a liar. Um, you've said in your book that he lied compulsively, consistently. Yeah, we used to joke about him lying about the time for practice. What do you mean? He lied. I mean, it was almost like he didn't have to lie. He would lie about anything at all. It didn't make a difference. You know, some things were innocuous. You know, we saw a lot about how many books he, uh, how many rather uh, apartments he sold or something like that. But he would lie about things that didn't matter at all. I mean, it would make gain nothing for him. It was just, you know, it was like it was an He couldn't resist it. He had to come out and lie. That's powerful stuff. Mary, listen, um, I know that you liked President Trump for certain things. Um, I like him for less. But you've never been a fan of his leadership style. Correct. Yeah, there, there's a time and a place. And we've talked about it for years. Many people have talked about it. And it's just the uh, sometimes if you're perceived as being too abrasive and you're not going to listen to what others have to say, uh, that can be very grating for people on the receiving end. There's another piece of this. And again, po your politics is your politics. Uh, Mary and I talk a lot about the connection between empathy and leadership. And I believe I asked Barbara Ress in that interview about President Trump's ability to empathize with others' pain. And one of the things that's always bothered me, Mary, and this is a leadership issue to me. It's a character issue. When he was mocking way back in the day, a reporter um, who I believe was physically handicapped, he mocked him. He, he talked about people being... Um, whatever other candidates who ran against him, he would mock their size, he would mock their being heavy, he would mock their wives. And to me, the idea that you would personally attack for their physical appearance, women, the things he said about women, I argue that's a leadership and character trait. Again, you could have voted for him because you like his tax policies. We don't want our sons talking like that. We won't talk like that, Mary, you say. I say Why is that a leadership issue? It's got everything to do with leadership. When you are a leader and people are looking up to you, uh, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to emulate you. They're going to want to mimic what you're doing, which is, as you said, we don't want our children mimicking what Donald Trump is doing when he was making fun of people and doing those We're making things. fun of people wearing a mask. Exactly. Or on the opposite side, you're going to get people that it's going to enrage and get them so angry that they're going to do horrible things. So you really need to be level-headed. You need to be smart. You need to be strategic in both your language and your actions when you are a leader. And one more thing, as bad as it was to mock people for their appearance and women and others, et cetera, let me tell you something. This isn't political. If you love this country as much as I do, and I know Mary does, in the middle of the seventh inning of every Yankee game, I stand. I don't want to do that the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I stand. Listen, God bless America. To me, I stand. You do what you want to do. I know I stand. Why do I say that? January 6th, that insurrection of the Capitol. Un-American. I don't care who you voted for. Mm -hmm. Against law enforcement. Attacking the Capitol. When the president spoke that day and incited people and then called them wonderful people, I love you no accountability. Why is that leadership? Because what you say when you're so, he, this guy is charismatic. 
This guy is a dynamic speaker. Joe Biden's not. You have a responsibility for how you use those words and how you influence people, Mary, you say? I agree completely. Again, when you are in such a powerful position, people are going to listen. And if you lead them in a direction of violence and of just frankly being reckless, they're going to follow. If he stood up and said, listen, you know, I, uh, you know, you need to stop immediately. And if you condemn their actions, they're going to listen. And it really just makes a big difference. Real quick before we go, what about if someone says, listen, it's not about what a leader says, it's what he or she does, you say? Oh, I think it's I think it's 50 50. I think, you know, oftentimes leaders will say one thing and do and do the opposite. I believe that actions often speak louder than words. And you need to, yeah. um, you know, definitely put both, I'd say, 50 50. And by the way, off Trump and on Biden with a few seconds left. I know, Elvin, I got to go. When President Biden, at least to this date, does not take responsibility for what happened in Afghanistan and somehow blames the previous president, that's a lack of leadership. Like I said, Mary and I don't care who you voted for. Lessons in Leadership. Steve, Mary, and the great team behind the scenes. Lessons in Leadership. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University. Showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here.